Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of A Good Drop. Today, we are in the midst of an Australian summer, sweating our uh, collective shirts off and drinking Australian rum. Yes, because we are talking about Australian rum. So, uh, yeah, we've got to start somewhere. Yeah, prepare yourselves. <laughs> prepare yourselves for a uh, Australian-filled, slightly historical podcast. Yeah. I'm Stu. I'm Michael. Cheers. Cheers. So yes, indeed, we are in an Australian summer, talking about Australian rum, talking about Bundy. Yeah, we are at the moment drinking Bundaberg Black, Bund- Bund- or Bundy Black, Bundy Black, yeah. Because Bundaberg rum is one of the most drunk rums in Australia, if not the most drunk rum in, in Australia. Yeah, and uh, also one of the oldest. The uh, it's not the oldest. But it no, is, that, that was surprising for me to hear. Yeah, certainly one of the oldest, and we'll get to that a bit later, because I think we need to start back where it all began. 1788? With the first fleet. 1788. Because naturally, the Navy brought rum. Of course they did. They're a bunch of piss pots. Yep, when they founded <laughs> the colony. And uh, naturally, as there was lots of rum about, and no form of currency in the colonies... Barter became common, and rum became, uh, which admittedly at that time, rum wasn't any one specific drink. It was a term used to refer to any strong alcohol. Mm. But still, it it became the currency of choice because it was easily accessible. It was everywhere. Yeah, and people could make it themselves and, and barter with it. So therefore creating their own currency effectively. Yeah, so I mean, in, in the early days, it was... Um, imported mostly from India and the West Indies and the Jamaican stuff was really valuable and sought after. And, I wonder uh, why. Jamaican rum is fantastic. Yeah, well that was mainly because the stuff being imported from India was produced using uh, usually palm sugar rather than cane sugar mm. and uh, more closely resembled Iraq than what we now call rum. That's quite interesting. And uh, so it's said, though it was occasionally mixed with cane sugar as well as the palm sugar, that really the only thing it had going for it was that it got you drunk. (laughs) So basically moonshine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Basically moonshine. And so, you know, for a long time it went on with rum being imported and produced by those who could until 1816... When Governor Bly arrived in Sydney as Britain's answer to successive governors before him, having failed to control the offices of the New South Wales Corps. And um, they were basically the police back in the day, trying to keep everyone happy. Yeah, and uh, because part of their paycheck was rum, they became known as the Rum Corps. But (laughs) what he did that... uh, Pissed a lot of people off. Yeah, he pissed a lot of people off by prohibiting the use of rum as payment for other commodities. Well, he, he... It wasn't just rum that he prohibited, it was all kinds, all forms of bartering, because he wanted the, the, the currency of the time to become the Australian currency. Like, the, he wanted actual currency doing the job of currency, not rum. Yeah. Not yeah. grog, not, no bartering, no uh, swapping, oh, I've got a 10-pound bag of flour, Let's, I'll swap you that for a, a table, for example. 
Yeah, though, I mean, the technically at that time, the colony didn't have its own currency. No. But... But that's what he was trying he, to bring it he in. He was trying to do that, and he didn't want them using rum. And, uh, of course, he also attempted to remove a number of uh, people who were heavily involved in trade. A number of traders were in public office, mm. and he also had them removed from from public office. And uh, that, plus the banning of bartering rum, was uh, largely considered to have been a bad move and made him a lot of enemies, Uh, one of whom was John MacArthur, who had significant land and commercial investments in the colony Mm. and was also a former member of the Rum Corps. And... They still really liked him, and he still had their support very heavily in yeah. what he did. Yeah. The, well, the biggest, the biggest thing, the, the, the moment where it all went pear-shaped for Bly was when he decided, or, well, he, sorry, not decided, he ordered that promissory notes to be made payable in sterling currency instead of rum or other bartering tools. And this, that is the, the order that really set, set this thing off. Yeah, and it's something that um, they tried to work around. MacArthur was importing stills and selling illegal spirits and continuing to <laughs> trade as normal. But uh, and, and guess what? Bly ordered the destruction of all illicit stills and prohibited the bartering of spirits for grain, labor, food, or any other goods, especially rum. Yep, and then he went and had MacArthur arrested over a technical matter relating to one of his ships. <laughs> which yeah. kind of pushed MacArthur over the edge. And uh, so on the 26th of January in 1808, Major George Johnston led the Rom Corps to Government House where they arrested Bly in um, what later became known as the Rum Rebellion and remains the only time in Australian history that a government has been forcibly changed. Mm. <laughs> Apparently, uh, Governor Bly was found hiding behind his bed. In. Of course he was, because <laughs> he'd have known it was coming. Absolutely. And uh, word of what happened eventually reached the British colonial office. And uh, in in 1810, after two years of military rule in the colonies, there was um, an order made to arrest Johnson and MacArthur, who were not in Australia by the time those ships arrived. They had already set sail for Britain to defend themselves. <laughs> guessing what would happen. Amazing. And that same year, Governor Lachlan Macquarie arrived, and uh, he eventually established licensing systems and the stable coin currency that ended up curbing the rum trade. Hmm. But it, it, it's re- this rebellion is really interesting because no one at the time thought it was about rum. It was just economics. It wasn't until a journalist in... 1855, an English Quaker named William Howitt, where he published a story of Australia and, like many teetotalers, was keen to blame alcohol for the problems of the world. And Howitt took Bly's side and invented the phrase Rum Rebellion, and and it's stuck ever since. And it's stuck, yeah. Hmm. But of course, the reality was that it wasn't about rum so much as telling the New South Wales Corps that we're paying a portion of your paycheck in rum, but you can't do anything with it but drink it. Mm. They basically told them, you've now got less money than you had before. Yeah. Yeah. It's effectively a pay cut. And 
obviously that's going to piss people off. Yeah, so it's it's understandable that mm. they would then get behind a guy who used to be one of theirs mm. and who was also on him. their side. Yeah, and support him in continuing what was keeping them quite happy. Mm. But um, of course, the uh, the same year that uh, Governor Macquarie arrived, the New South Wales Corps were recalled. <laughs> <laughs> or disbanded Dis- yeah well probably both yeah <laughs> recalled and then shipped off to wherever else to be out of the way and undoubtedly not working with each other anymore mm. yeah quite interesting yeah and uh, yeah so then of course while all of that was going on there were small amounts of sugarcane that people were attempting to grow near the new south wales colonies but it didn't go well because it just doesn't grow well in cold weather. Which leads us, of course, into the history of how it did end up growing. Because um, it was around the same time that all that stuff was happening that they were trying to grow sugarcane around the New South Wales yeah, they, colonies they and the Victorian colonies, and it just didn't work. No. The first successful sugarcane crops were actually harvested in 1862 by uh, Captain Lewis Thorpe in um, an area east of Brisbane. And uh, then in 1864, he established Australia's first sugar factory. Yeah, and um, so that was 1864, and it was in fact in 1888 that the Bundaberg Rum Distillery... Opened its doors. Opened its doors. Well, sort of. Well, that's when they first were founded. It was 1889 when they actually produced their first batch of 25,000 gallons of rum. That's a lot of rum. Straight off the bat. It's a lot of rum to make in 1889. <laughs> mm, yeah. It's it's had a mixed history, this, the the Bundaberg distillery. Yeah. I mean, while we're, while we're still in the early, uh, well, in the late 1800s, I'd, I'd like to mention that it didn't take long between them opening their doors and sugar suddenly being hugely popular. Because <laughs> by 1890, it had been established as a major crop along the eastern coast of Queensland, as far north as Mackay. Mm. And today, it is Australia's second largest export. And 98% of that sugar that we export and that we produce is produced in Queensland, still, to this day. Mm. We'll, we'll get to it later, but it's not all produced in Queensland anymore. So we're, we're in 1890 at the moment, where sugarcane is now happily growing along the eastern coast of Queensland. Mm. It, it basically grows from... Um, Bunda- just south of Bundaberg to all the way to Cairns. Yeah. And uh, so, of course, 1889 was when Bundy first started selling. And uh, they had really poor timing because from 1890 to 1893 was a thing known as the Great Depression. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of screwed a lot of people over. It kind of screwed a lot of people but over. I, I... Don't remember much about that. I remember learning about the Great Depression in high school, but that was a long time ago. Mm. I mean, there was another depression in the 30s. Yeah, the Second Great Depression. Yeah, the Second Great Depression. (laughs) But the first one... The Great Depression, the second. (laughs) mm, The first one actually resulted in the Bundaberg Distillery, the brand new Bundaberg Distillery, going into receivership. Oh, shit. But in 1893, it was bought... It was uh, purchased back from the receivers... And went back into production, <laughs> only to then have a fire break out in one of the still rooms 14 years later. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that first fire caused a lot of damage and shut the plant down for, for seven years. Yeah, and eventually they went back into production, mm. but they were, like, cursed in the early years or something. 20, 20 what, 22 years later? Yeah, because in 1936, the plant was, str- the distillery was struck by lightning. 
And <laughs> that sparked an explosion that caused millions of liters of flaming molasses to flow into the nearby Burnett River and wow. set it ablaze. That is amazing. And of course, it completely destroyed the distillery. So not not quite as not quite as devastating as the the Chicago um, rum fires or molasses fire. Molasses fire? No. Uh, um, some, I'm pretty sure it was Chicago, where a a few vats of molasses exploded and flowed down the main street. Um, could have been, yeah, because I mean that's the main street. This was just this was a river that yeah. went up in flames. Yeah, like several hundred people died from molasses. Yeah, that's. But if <laughs> if you got it on you, that would be game over. You, you can't get that off. No. But um, yeah, so once again, the distillery was destroyed for, and was shut down for. Three only three years this time. Yeah, and um, yeah, it only took them three years to uh, to completely rebuild it hmm. and go back into production again. <laughs> and so, of course, at this point, we're in 1939, hmm. and then a big old war starts, and that actually went remarkably well for the Bundaberg Rum Distillery. Yeah, because they were shipping rum over with the army peoples. The- yep. Yeah. And uh, all of the American soldiers who were overpaid and over here, as was <laughs> this, this saying at the time, yeah, were loving Bundy rum and drinking a lot of it. And they were drinking it with Coca-Cola. Yeah. And the Bundy people noticed that and went, oh, hey, let's bottle them together. And so by 1943, they were bottling rum and cola as, as the, the first premix. Yeah. I believe it was. the ve- Well, certainly the very first premix in Australia. Yeah, and definitely one of the earliest premixes mm. that uh, that you could get your hands on. Yeah. And the the other, well, as a side note, the other big uh, quote-unquote cocktail that um, you drink Bundaberg rum with is ginger beer. Yes, the dark, dark and stormy. Dark and stormy. Which is another thing that, of course, Bundy premixes. Yeah. And I can see why, because it's a tasty, tasty drink. Yeah. And, I mean, since Bundaberg is also known for its ginger beer... Mm. Bundaberg ginger beer. Yeah. That's a different company. It is a different company. But still Bundaberg. Yeah. Still Bundaberg, still produced in the same city. Yeah. And why would they not do business with each other? Of course. Of course. So, in 1961, the company introduced a polar bear as its mascot. Which drew some weird looks from many, many people. Yeah, because another thing that we should mention that happened around that same time is mm-hmm. that Bundaberg actually started branding and labeling their products. Oh. Because prior to the 1960s, they had been selling their rum in casks direct to... Really? The, uh, direct to pubs who would then bottle and label it however they saw fit. Really? And so in... That's really interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. So in the 1950s, Bundaberg started the process of branding themselves and uh, got an agency to help them do that. And during that process, they reached the end of it where they were ready to start whacking their Bundy labels on things and discovered the agency that they had employed had sneakily gone ahead and purchased that brand name and sold it back to them at a premium. <laughs> <laughs> what a bunch of wankers. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's that's really underhanded. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And so then in 1961, as part of their branding, yellow label, 
polar bear. Polar bear. Yeah, it's an interesting choice, but they, according to the Wikipedia, it it says it is meant to imply that the rum could ward off the coldest chill. Which, admittedly, it probably could. Yeah, well, here, we, here we are sweating. Yeah. Because we're drinking Bundy rum. Though we are drinking it with something cool. True. I'm drinking a... You're dark and stormy, dark and you're stormy. drinking a Bundy and Cola. Yeah, rum and coke. Yeah. <laughs> it's a classic, Australian classic. Um I don't like Coke, but it I can I I can I think I can stand this at least. It it works. And by yeah. by the end of the episode we will have also drunk it straight. Mm. We just needed to start with a cool drink because yes. it's really hot today. Yeah. Uh so nothing much happened between nineteen sixty one and two thousand except for the Rum production exponentially increasing. In the year 2000, the Bundaberg Rum Company and distillery were sold to British company Diageo. Of course it was. Of course it was. They, they're probably like, hey, we want to buy that. And they went, oh, uh, uh, okay, fine. We can't say no. That's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, and admittedly, the, the distillery still functions basically the same as it always has. Mm. I mean, I've been on the distillery tour twice. Yeah. And yeah, with years in between and it's it's the same. Mm. With the exception that there's different things available at the end of the tour. Yes. Because the way that taxation on alcohol works in Australia is that if an alcoholic beverage is produced, bottled and sold on the same premises, the taxes do not apply up to a certain volume of alcohol. Mm. But the same sort of volume as duty free, I believe. Interesting. So I I wonder if, I just had a thought, I wonder if the craft breweries are taking advantage of that, or if they can take advantage of that, Mm. which means... If it it relates to them, or if it just relates to liquor. Yeah, which means if we're paying $10 a pint for (laughs) a craft beer at a craft brewery that's bought and sold tax, well, yeah, bought and drunk tax-free... It means those craft breweries are making a mint. Yeah, I mean, they might be. I know that um, one of the other distilleries in Australia, the Mount Uncle Distillery, hmm. sells their product at the distillery for a definite premium, like <laughs> huge amounts per bottle. For, hmm. And they're not even a full 700ml bottle. Really? That's annoying. Hmm, like I'm told that it's very good stuff. I'm not I'm not knocking Mount Uncle Distillery here. I've been told that it's very good. <laughs> I just think that, you know, it's they're not worth it. They're taking advantage of the tourists. Oh, for sure. For sure. By, you know, getting that extra bit of profit. Mm. And if they don't know any better, then yeah, of, whereas of course... they could potentially get a lot more regular local customers if they passed at least some of that tax saving on. Mm. Who knows? Who knows what they're thinking? Anyway, back to Bundy. So, in 2014, a decision by Diageo to relocate the bottling operation of Queensland's iconic drink to the western Sydney suburb of Huntingwood resulted in local job losses in the city that bears its name. So, it's no longer... The the Bundy rum you know and love is no longer... Well, no longer bottled in Bundaberg. And I think some of it still is. Some of it still is. It's uh, a Diageo spokesperson, spokeswoman, clarified by saying some premium products, such as the Master Distillers Collection, would continue to be bottled in Bundaberg. So they're just talking about bottling operations. So perhaps yeah. they're still 
producing the liquor, just not bottling it. Mm, well, they're definitely still producing quite a bit of it there. Mm. I don't think I've been... No, the last time I went on a tour there was 2011, so there Ooh. might have been might have been a change since Yeah, well, a friend since of ours. Then. Yeah, because I, I, I know somebody who was there a few years back and was still able to get the uh, Bundaberg liqueur mm. yeah, well, from, from the end of the tour mm. at the tax-free price, mm. which is good because the liqueur is really nice. Yeah. But usually quite expensive. I mean, it's it's a price you would expect to pay for an alcohol of that caliber. Caliber, mm, absolutely. But it's nice to be able to pick it up tax free at the <laughs> yeah. at the distillery. Yeah, it's it's a little bonus. Um, yeah, that's that's about it for that's about it for the the Bundaberg rum history. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about the well, other. Well, first, do you want to taste the um, Bundaberg black Bundy black straight? Yes, let's let's have it neat. So let's we'll do that. We'll take a moment to pour new beverages, and mm. then we'll be back after this message from our non-existent sponsors. We don't have a sponsor. <laughs> All right, so we're back. We have fresh glasses of neat Bundy, and we're going to try it for the first time. It's <laughs> fucking hell. It's, it's got a, a heck of a smell to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's 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 what you'd expect. It's Bundaberg rum. Well, it's it's rum. Yeah. And normal amber rum is usually really rough. And we've because we've got Bundy Black, it's gonna be it's gonna be less rough than the regular underproof stuff. But I don't know. It's still it's, it's still it, rum. It smells pretty rough. It like smells when, potent. When when I poured our initial mixed drinks, the smell was very pleasant, but it was in a a small amount and in a tall glass and in these current glasses the smell is overwhelming almost mm. and i mean it's pleasant in small amounts but the shape of the glasses that we're using here as you can see in the picture mm. is designed to capture that <laughs> fragrance yeah which, yeah which, but that's that's fine when you're talking about scotch or well not just when you're talking about whiskey or um brandy yeah and you know, as we were talking about in the last episode, mm. where you know it's designed for that purpose, but yeah. rum isn't. Well, depending on the rum, it's not really something you want to do that with. No. Well, apparently not. Apparently not. I mean, because this was absolutely fantastic with Coke and with ginger beer. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah, it mixed just with those. It had it added the it added an awesome array of flavors to the to the ginger beer and the Coke. Yeah. Uh, Nice bit of complexity, mm. but this I I kind of have to work myself up to drink this. Yeah, because it it just <laughs> the smell it it reminds me of the smell walking through the molasses room in the distillery almost, which is <coughs> that's oof. Um, okay, so I don't reckon <clears throat> I reckon that's a straight mm. a, a drink you drink straight. I mean, on on the palate, it's not bad. Like yeah. at, at the at the front, it's it's the the back of so the okay, throat. As it rolls it across it. your tongue, it's very pleasant. There's some subtlety. There's some nuance, and then at the back end, it just kicks you like a mule. Yeah, and then the the bad part comes through with the tingling, the bitterness on on your tongue. The yeah, burning. the the aftertaste mm. is. Um, I suppose it makes you want to have more to wash it away. And then you're like, oh, no, it's happened again. Mm. 
But, yeah, mixed with something, terrific. When it's cold, when it's mixed with ice, it's actually not bad. Yeah, it, it does um, mellow it out some. And uh, we are not by any stretch of the imagination saying that Bundaberg don't produce a rum that you can drink straight because they're, I've had their rums straight. Mm. And their liqueur is top-notch and you can easily drink that straight up. But this one, as somebody who's, I mean, not uh, a fan of this type of rum. No, me neither. I'm bit more of a fan of dark rums or aged rums. Yeah. But this is, yeah, you're right. This is good for an amber rum. Yeah, I mean, if if you like this type of rum, if you like an amber rum, you'll probably love this. Because hmm. it does have a lot of complexity and flavor and... It's awesome to mix with. Even though mm. this is in our uh, top drop category, the, the Bundaberg Black. It's in our top drop category because it's... It's more expensive than the average, but worth the worth the extra price. Yeah, and I mean, as as we always say, not every drink is for everyone. Mm. This isn't for us, but it no. might be for you. But but now that the ice has melted a little bit and has chilled the drink, there's a whole set of different flavors that have come out. Mm. You've got there's you can definitely pick the molasses a lot more now. Yeah, and I'll, I'll admit that I am enjoying it more now. It's um. So have it have it chilled, like not not cold, cold, but definitely give it a go below room temperature. Yeah. and stick it in the fridge. Enormous difference. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed at how how much smoother this drink is now that it's cold. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, it's you know about thirty degrees Celsius at the moment, room <laughs> yeah. temperature, and like eighty percent humidity. Yeah, and we were <laughs> having this. At room temperature before we put ice in it. Yeah. Which undoubtedly makes a difference. As mm. we've found in the past with other liquors, the temperature you consume it at makes an enormous difference to the nose and the flavor. Yeah, sure does. And even the aftertaste is vastly improved by being consumed colder. Mm. Give it a go. Have an experiment. See what you think about it yourself. Yeah. Um, before we head off... Let's talk a bit about the other Australian distillers. Yes, so there are uh, 29 what? rum brands that we're aware of What in, in Australia, yeah. And uh, nine of them are in Queensland. How have I not heard of any of them? Like, I really only know two. I suppose I don't really drink rum, so that's a fair... Call. Yeah, so I, I'm guessing that's... Um, <laughs> Bundaberg and... And Bean Lee. Oh, and Bean Lee, okay. Yeah. I thought Inner Circle would be... No. No, yeah, so the the 29 that that I'm aware of, that I turned up in uh, in my research, beyond the ones I was already aware of, mm. is, um, well, including the ones I was already aware of, yep. is uh, Adelaide Hills Distillery, the Bean Lee Artiston Distillery, <laughs> the Black Gate Distillery... Black Gate, that sounds ominous. Mm, Blue Still, Bricks Distillers, Bundaberg Distilling Company, obviously, uh, Castle Glen, Australia, Far mm. North Queensland Rum Company, the Gowrie of oh, yeah, Glen Gowrie Distillery, Holy Dollar, Hoochery Rum, <laughs> Husk Distillery, Illegal Tender Rum Co., What? Inner Circle Rum, Jimmy Rum, Karoo Distillery, Kimberley Rum Company, also known as the Canefire Distillery. Lark Distillery, Lord Byron Distillery, 
Mount Uncle Distillery. Actually, I have heard of Lord Byron Rum. Mm. I didn't realise that was Australian. Yeah, and I, I believe Mount Uncle actually belongs to the Far Northern Queensland Rum Company. Hmm. But, you know, they have more than one place of producing and Mount Uncle produces under its own brand name. And uh, Riverborne Distillery, Serena Sugar Shed, Stone Pine, Stale Yards Distillery, South Sea Rum, Tin Shed Distillery, The Siding, Waterview, and Winding Road Distillery. That's, yeah. I didn't realize there were so many. Yeah. Now, obviously, if, uh, if you're aware of any other distilleries, do feel free to email us and let us know. Yeah. Send us an email to a good drop at gmail.com. Uh, if you liked the rest of the episode, we'd love to have you subscribe to us. Hit that subscribe button. Smash that like button. <laughs> yeah. Smash that like button. Smash that like button. Uh, if you liked the rest of the podcast, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on uh, Podbean, we're on your favorite podcast app. You can find us as A Good Drop All About Alcohol. And we are on the socials as A Good Drop Podcast. Yeah, if you want to share a single episode with your friends on your social media, you can go to our website, agooddrop.com.au. And that's about it. We'd... uh, Thanks for listening, guys. So stay tuned for next time when we talk about Pinot Grigio. Yeah, it's uh, finally us doing one on a drink that is uh, right to drink at this time of year. <laughs> for us. For us. I mean, for, for those of you who are in Canada dreaming of a time when the numbers had a plus in front of them instead of a minus, it's probably not the drink for you, but it's definitely the drink for us. Definitely the drink for us. Um if it's the wrong time just save the episode and listen to it later yeah listen to it in six months in fact listen to it next week and then listen again in six months that's a good idea <laughs> uh, so yeah stay tuned for a uh, a cool white wine uh, it's been fun guys until next time cheers, cheers.